Welcome to Foundry Radio. This commission series looks at what Matthew 28 teaches about obedience, worship, authority and action. Episode 3, Worship So we're going to carry this series of looking at the Great Commission. And obviously we've looked at obedience in the first talk. And this talk is all around worship and it's the second verse in the Great Commission. So let me bring it up. And we'll see what it says. So the 11 disciples have gone to Galilee to where Jesus has told them to go. And verse 17, it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, the topic of worship is what we're going to talk about. But before we get explicitly into um, song or, um, you know, kind of musical instruments and what the Bible says about that, I want to take a slight deviation to talk about physics and um, now, this is not my speciality, but there's a couple of things that I've um, learned about that, that for me, raise the bar for worship. See, we often, um, at the, the lowest level, think of worship just as singing songs or playing musical instruments. We might have a slightly higher view of worship, of thinking, well, um, I can live a life of worship and there's more to my worship of God than, than just my song, but it's how I live my life and, and how I do these things. But what I want to do is is raise the bar even higher than um, I personally, before I started learning some of this stuff and seeing some of these things in the Bible, ever thought worship could go. And so to raise the bar of worship to start off with, I want to talk about frequency. So physics shows us that everything is vibrating. So everything in the world is vibrating. The earth is vibrating, human beings vibrate, um, and the measurement of vibration is frequency or hertz. So frequency is the currency of sound. And the measure of frequency or sound is hertz. And so you might not know, but the, the earth vibrates at between 6 and 10 hertz. So the earth is vibrating at between 6 and 10 hertz. So hertz is currency of sound, is frequency. Human beings vibrate. Light vibrates. So um, light itself vibrates between 400 and 700 terahertz. And the different shades and colors of light all vibrate at different frequencies, animals, trees, plants, all of the earth and the world around us is vibrating. The universe is built on sound and vibration. Now, there's a theory called string theory, and there's various variations of it, that, that smaller than a quark, inside a quark, might be these little um, strings um, of sound that hold things together. But whether string theory is ever provable or right or, or whatever, the fact is that the, the, the unequivocal evidence says that the earth, the world, all created things are vibrating. Now, when we read something like Colossians 1, 16 to 17 in the Bible, it says, in him, all things were created. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And when we hold that verse in line with Genesis, where it says God spoke the world into being. So it says God spoke the sun, said, let there be light. And there was light. And so then when we consider that light and the earth and all these things that God's spoken to being are still vibrating, that there's still like a, this, this vibration, this frequency, this hurts, this measurement of sound happening in them. And we read a verse like, in him all things hold together. It's this beautiful picture of the world still vibrating with the voice of God. Now, when you, you read in Revelation or other parts of the Bible, it talks about God speaking. It's it's like it's like the sound of rushing waters or thunder or you know, like it's this it's this undescribable 
um, just like unquantifiable thing, the voice of God. And yet God spoke the world into being, and I believe it's still vibrating, it's still humming now with the voice of God. And so that's my kind of like my, my base layer for then the next thing to build on top of it, which is this concept of entrainment. And so there was this Dutch physicist, Christian Huygens, who was the guy that invented the pendulum clock. And what he found is that basically if he would, he would kind of you know, have some of these, these pendulum clocks on the wall and he'd leave the room and they'd maybe be sort of like swinging slightly out of sync. And within half an hour, he'd come back in and, and basically they'd fallen into absolute sync with each other. And so these two things that were out of sync had just fallen into sync. And it's this concept, there's this term called entrainment, where two things that are at the same frequency will follow into sync with each other. And what happens is there's this tiny little exchange of energies between them until the point where they fall in sync. Now, this also is like a, a social phenomenon. So you will see like two people in rocking chairs um, and they're rocking slightly out of, and they just naturally fall in sync with each other. It's the same with audiences clapping at, um, at concerts or, or whatever it happens to be. There's this tending to fall in sync into entrainment. But in the physical world where things are at the same frequency, they fall into sync with each other, this concept of entrainment. And so when you then consider if the, if the world and nature and humans are still vibrating with the voice of God, of what God has spoken into being, when we start to understand that God is still speaking, there are, there are promises over you that God has spoken, there are things that God has said about you and who you are. And so when we start to live lives, full lives of worship, falling in sync with, you know, operating on the same frequency as what God has spoken, what we find is, is instead of being out of sync with God, we start to find ourselves falling more and more into sync, into entrainment with God and who he is and what he has spoken about. Now, this concept of entrainment actually also has on the flip side of it a destructive side <clears throat> so if you want to go and Google the uh, the Tacoma's Narrows Bridge, or I think sometimes it's called Galloping Gertie, but the Tacoma Narrows Bridge, and what you'll see in this video is this, um, you know, kind of solid bridge that was, you know, being used, cars traveling over every single day, this, you know, like impressive structure, and it had these kind of metal wires that kind of you were or some of the supporting structure. But what you'll see in the video is that this kind of concrete kind of um, bridge like total bucking and swaying and uh, moving all around from side to side to side and eventually it just gets totally destroyed, like the bridge just collapses. And there's a number of different things that were happening, but part of what was happening there was there was very high wind that was shaking the metal um, ropes that were basically part of the supporting structure. And they started to vibrate, but they started to vibrate at the same frequency as the main structure of the bridge, the concrete of the bridge. And so because they were vibrating so much the same frequency, at the same frequency as the bridge, the bridge then started to move and vibrate in sync with these cords. And so you suddenly have this concrete bridge, this like significantly um, structural sound thing started shaking buck and it basically gets totally destroyed. And so you see, when we start to come to think about worship or how we use our voices or instruments, these sounds... When we start to understand that in, in, the, in the framework of a world that is still humming and vibrating with the voice of God, and this idea that we can fall into sync with things of the same frequency, 
It means that when you start to read something like Romans 12, where it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. <clears throat> when we start to understand that, that physical world around us in the way that science has shown us and the way that things like Colossians 1 show us, then we start to see actually that there is something more that happens when we live lives of worship, of true proper worship, where we are, are wholly focused on God and living in line with the, what he has spoken over us and what he is still speaking over us and the way that he has spoken the world into being. And there's a choice if we can either be kind of out of sync with what God is saying and what God is speaking. And it's not a good place to be, but we can start to just through small steps, start to try to align ourselves with the frequency, the, the, the very words of what God has spoken about and fall into entrainment with God. It's this incredible thing. And so when you read verses like, um, or, you know, it talks about everything being worship or pray without ceasing. I think these verses are talking to something of this posture, this worshipping posture of our hearts, that all our thoughts, all our words, all our actions, what we do with our bodies, all of it is either directed at falling in line with what God is saying and speaking about, or it's falling in line with something else. You know, I mean, you, you, if you want to go and um, Tim Keller's sermons are beautiful, where he <clears throat> talks about that we, we are all worshipping something. We all have a one ultimate thing that sits on the throne in our life, work or money or God or whatever it happens to be. We can only worship one thing. Truly, there's one thing that will always trump all the others. And that, that concept is of like our, our lives will always be kind of falling in frequency with something. You know, we'll always be kind of, you know, rocking to the tune of a particular thing. But but if you live that life of worship where you are focused on God and falling in line with what he's saying, this beautiful thing of the more we start to, to kind of vibrate with what God is speaking about, we will fall more and more and more in sync with what God is doing, with what God is saying, what God has planned and already spoken over your life before you were even born. Before the beginning of time, God spoke and has has declared truths about who you are and what he has for you to do. And a part of our worship and this raising this bar for understanding worship is about falling in sync with that. <clears throat> so we are going to talk about um, about more explicitly in, a, in just now about kind of song and singing songs um, and musical instruments and this dynamic that worship has with this entrainment concept about falling into sync with things. Um, we're going to look at it explicitly related to the prophecy and then also to basically victory. And so these are the three things we're now going to look at. And I'm going to now focus more explicitly on sung worship or, or musicality, whatever you want to say. But it's all built on this foundation of worship is more than just our songs. And it's all about this falling in sync with what God is saying and speaking of us. So first of all, there's this interesting wordplay that happens in Greek with this word hoplon. And hoplon basically is the word that's used to um, mean like a, an instrument or a musical instrument. It's also the one that's used specifically for a weapon of war. And so there's this interesting wordplay whenever you're reading, um, you know, about an instrument. It's this wordplay of war, an instrument of war, and an instrument of music. And so what we will see is that, that worship, your singing worship to God, is an act of warfare against 
Satan against the darkness in the world and can physically change what is happening in the world around you. And it can help us to fall in sync with what it is that God is doing and who he is. So first things first, let me just bring up this little um, diagram for you. So this is what we're going to look at. This is this is my creation from some time where um, I, I felt God just speaking around worship. And so what I'm going to look at is we're going to look at different um, verses through the Bible. We will see that there are specific verses that talk about worship in line with entrainment, about whether or not we are in sync um, with what God is doing and what God is saying. And so there's this back and forth between worship and entrainment. There's also a relationship between worship and prophecy that, again, we maybe have sometimes lost or we don't fully grasp the fullness of, and worship and victory. And so that's the first thing we'll look at is this relationship between worship and entrainment, worship and prophecy, and worship and victory. But what you'll also see as we go through those things is where we're in train, where we're falling in sync with God and what he is saying, we then choose to be obedient, trust him, as we looked at in the last talk, that will often lead the kind of green arrow around to victory. And where we are worshipping God and God is speaking and there's a prophetic speaking of God and we choose to again fall in line with entrainment or falling into line of the prophetic word and obey the prophetic words, then again it leads to victory, which again leads back into worship. And so there's this whole kind of cyclical thing that's going on where we're worshipping God, we're falling more in sync with what it is that God's saying. And when we choose to fall in sync with God, we're going to find ourselves having more victories which is then going to cause us to worship God. Oh, God, this is amazing what you're going to do. And then that is in a, in a place where we are then in a place where we can hear God speak more clearly. The prophetic comes. And when we choose then to be obedient to that, we fall into entrainment with what God is doing. And we then will come and see more victories. And so there's this beautiful dynamic where worship causes these things to happen and then causes us to come back into worship, which kind of causes this thing. It's this virtuous um, sort of process, virtuous circle. So first things first, entrainment. Now, what's really interesting is, although we've kind of talked about the, the, the physics of entrainment, you will see throughout the Bible, particularly I'm going to give some, um, some passages in the Old Testament you can go and look at, but you'll see in the Old Testament that where the people of God are in sync with God, they're in line with God's plans, you see there's this overflow and abundance of worship and song. So if you want, you can basically go and look at 2 Chronicles 23, Nehemiah 13, Jeremiah 33, and Amos 9. And you'll see in all these places, as a sign of spiritual revival, of reformation, worship. And, and there's this direct relationship between the worship of the people of God and them being in a healthy place with God. This entrainment idea. But what you'll also then see on the flip side, it's not just, you don't just see the positive, you see the negative of it. It's where the people of God are starting to fall out of line, out of sync with the plans of God and what he has spoken and what he has said. Worship seems to just dry up. And so if you want, you can go and look at Nehemiah 13, Psalm 137, Jeremiah 7, Ezekiel 26, Amos 5. And so in both these places, you will see that, that singing and song and worship is part of the, the character and the 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 outpouring of people's hearts about being in sync with God. It keeps them also in that place. They are, they, are, they are vibrating with a frequency that is in line with God. And in the places where they are out of sync with God and, and there's just um, a, a dislocation between the people and God, songs dry up. And so the great example is Nehemiah 12 and 13. So you see Nehemiah 12, they've just rebuilt the walls. They're wanting to celebrate what God has done, this miraculous thing. And so they appoint the musicians, and the musicians lead them around the wall. 
And then Nehemiah goes away and comes back, and you see in chapter 13, the people have fallen out of sync with God. They they stopped paying the musicians to, to perform their worship. And, and this is part of what's happened at this time with these people falling out of sync with God. And so there's something the Bible is saying that actually when we are worshiping God, we are falling in sync. We are vibrating with a frequency that resonates with who God is. And it keeps us in line with God. And so again, I know this personally. There are times where I will be walking close to God. I'll find my heart bubbling with song. I'll wake up with songs. I'll, you know, and again, doing that keeps me in sync with God. And actually, it's a good indicator of health. Is how is my heart in worship? How am I feeling about singing songs to God? Is this good indicator of, of where we are in alignment um, with God? So that's entrainment. And again, where we're basically in sync with God, it can then lead to victory um, and cause this you know back and forth of this worship dynamic with God so prophecy now interestingly there's an like a, an inextricable link between prophecy and worship and so there are there are three passages I look at I'll just look at them very briefly you can go and have a look at them yourself but music and prophecy in the Bible are are Peas in a pod. <laughs> Basically, like I'm, I can't give you the causality between them, but there's a there's a relationship between worship and prophecy. So, um, one Chronicles twenty five, David together with the commanders of the army. So again, you're seeing this hoplon thing, this this kind of relationship between music and um, warfare. It says David with the commanders of the army set aside some of the sons um, for the ministry of prophesying, accompanied by harps, lyres, and cymbals. And so David, this warrior king, who also was this songsmith, this great songwriter in the Psalms, basically would set aside people for prophecy and wrapped around that would be worship and instruments and singers and musicians would go around it. Interesting. Okay, now if we come on to 1 Samuel 10. So basically, this is where um, it says, you know, as you approach, um, you know, this Philistine outpost, as you approach the town, you'll meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes and harps being played before them. And they'll be prophesying and the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy powerfully. Again, we see that there's a, a direct relationship between prophecy and worship and music and song. Now, whether you want to say that this is creating an atmosphere of worship, whether this is explicitly related to being able to hear God or whether this is an entrainment thing of falling in line and um, with God's heart whether it's just that it's focusing us on God whether there's a frequency thing that's happening that is causing us to vibrate and resonate with it whatever dynamic you want to understand you see time and again and again and again through the Bible music worship and prophecy are are peas in a pod they're bedfellows that sit together. 2 Kings 3, this is the last one. So 2 Kings 3, if you kind of read kind of 9 through to 21, you kind of get a good picture of it. But basically, Elisha's been called to bring a prophetic word. And he says, bring me a harpist. Bring me now a harpist. So he's been asked to prophesy. He's a prophetic guy, right? This is, you know, like, it's not someone that would be going, oh, I've never done this before. He, he knows what it is to hear God speak and to declare the words of God. And he says, bring me a harpist. And while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha and he said, this is what the Lord says. And he goes on to speak about what God says. And so where we're often saying, you know, we, we'll often talk about, oh, you know, um, hearing the voice of God and, you know, wanting to hear God speak to you more. Well, if you're wanting more of that prophetic, 
I, I can't escape but looking at the Bible and seeing that there's a, a direct relationship between worship and prophecy. Now, there are other places where you will see that God speaks and there's not necessarily kind of, you know, explicitly music related. So I'm not saying that God will only speak if there's been music and worship, but there's an inexplicable link behind it. If you're wanting to hear God's voice more, position your heart in a place of worship, whether that's songs, whether that is the fullness of the verse we looked at earlier about, it's this whole posture of our thoughts and our body, turn every thought captive to Christ, wholly focused on him. That That is your true and proper worship. So it's, it's more than just song. And yet, Elisha says, bring me a harpist. And as the harpist was playing, God spoke. So again, there, there's something that I think we've we've lost here of we've kind of relegated worship to being like, well, we do that for a little bit before then maybe the sermon and maybe we do a little bit at the end and we sing some songs and it's nice because it's like a community thing. Like those community choirs are good and so it's good for the people of God. No, no, there's something much greater happening when the people of God come together with instruments and voices and resonate songs of worship about God. And there's something that happens as well that creates a space where we are able to hear God more and more and more. Okay, finally on this one, victory. So worship often directly leads to victory for the people of God. Now, we often want to, you know, be David with our, our stones and our slings and take down giants. And that's sometimes God will call us to pick up weaponry. But remember, there's this wordplay between weapons and worship. And so what we'll see in a number of verses, so Numbers 10, okay, this is the first time in the Bible where you see um, God instructing the use of instruments in worship, okay? So the first instance ever where God says, use instruments for worship happens in Numbers 10. Um, here we go. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you and generations. When you go into battle in your own land against an enemy oppressing you, sound a blast on the trumpets. Okay, so the first ever instruction for the use of instruments is in the context of warfare and battle. And he goes on to so say, then you will be remembered by the Lord your God and rescued from enemies. He goes on to say, also in times of rejoicing, use this as well. So it's not just for battle, it's in times of rejoicing. It says, first mention of use of instruments is in the context of going into battle against an enemy. And God will hear you and he will fight for you. And you think, okay, well, maybe that was just, you know, the first time someone happened to mention instruments. Okay, maybe. Joshua 6 Joshua says, I'll deliver Jericho into your hands. March around the city seven times, priests blowing trumpets. When you hear the long bass, have the whole army give a loud shout and the wall will collapse. Now, I don't know what was happening in that moment. Was it that, the, that something you know, miraculous happened in the fact that God caused something to happen? Or was it the same thing as the Tacoma's Narrow Bridge? Was there a, an entrainment thing happening where the marching of the feet of God the blasting of the trumpets, the shout of the people of God caused the walls to vibrate at a particular frequency that caused them to collapse. I don't know. I, we will find out one day. God can tell us one day. But again, it's this concept of shout, the vocalization of the people of God, of instruments being played in this concept of warfare that leads to a victory. Not because they go and, you know, basically like, you know, you know battle down the walls, but no, no, they are worshiping God and What's also happening there? Oh, well, they're being obedient to God. So they're falling in line with what God is saying. God's told them to do something and they're doing it, which causes them to worship. And there's this obedience thing going on. And they're, bang, victory comes. Okay, last one just for just now. But Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in jail. And what are they doing? They're worshipping God. And as they're worshipping God, 
At midnight, Paul and Silas praying and singing hymns to God. Other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, such a violent earthquake, the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Paul and Silas were just singing. Now again, I'm not suggesting that they were singing at the perfect frequency that caused an earthquake. But there was worship in their hearts directed at God that directly led to victory. And so we often, when we are in, in tough situations and circumstances, we often want to be tasked with, what can I do to get out of this? Or I will pray, I'll say, God, what are you doing about God? God, you need to act. You need to do this. Well, actually, there's, there's good precedent in the Bible in these nine verses, nine different passages of scripture we've looked at. We say, actually, in that moment, choose to worship God. Choose to trust him and say, God, okay, I trust that you're in control. And no matter what else is going on, I'm going to worship you and declare the goodness of who you are. I'm going to turn my, my posture from worry and angst and all these other things and questioning God to say, God, you are good and I will worship you. And what you might see is not only will you start to fall maybe better in sync with God, God might start to speak to you about stuff or there might just be instant direct victory that comes from it as well. But there's really good precedent for saying actually worship is not just a little thing that you do on a Sunday before a, before the, the talk. It is a, a powerful weapon of warfare that you have to change the physical world around you. I'll say it again, worship that you can do in your house or in the street, wherever you happen to be, singing songs to God is a, a, an act you can do that will change the physical world around you. Remember, the whole world around you is vibrating and humming with the voice of God. The earth is, is still vibrating with the authority and the word of God that says, exist. Still the very voice of God holding and sustaining that thing together, light around you. Like when you're walking down the street, you are literally walking around the voice of God, brimming and humming in the world around you. And when you are singing or speaking or acting a life of true proper worship, in alignment with God, you're vibrating at the same frequency in entrainment with God. And you're then walking in a world that is still humming and vibrating with the voice of God. That is what the Bible says worship is. It's a much higher bar. It's a much more um, valuable tool, a valuable weapon than, than I tend to grasp and understand all the time. I'm going to just pray and then I'll leave you to go and sing some songs or put some music on. But Father God, Lord, the, the, this feels like even just a very shallow scratch of the surface of understanding the, the, the true value of worship. But Lord God, I, I ask that you would make us um, David's women and men who are warriors, who have hearts of worship, who are, are, are vibrating and humming with the very voice of God, falling in line with the, all that you have spoken over us. Lord God, would you, would you teach us how to become true and proper worshippers? Lord God, such that we would see victory and see people set free, see chains. Again, Paul and Silas are worshipping and the chains fall off everyone. The doors are opened and people are free. Oh God, we have the potential to see incredible victory and change the material world around us through our prayers and through our worship. 
Lord God, would you bless us in this? Amen.